Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So to be perfectly honest, uh, I have to admit that the season of Advent can be a little weird sometimes. As much as I love the season of Advent, and I truly do, it's a wonderful and important season, Advent's a pretty weird time of the church year. On the one hand, it's this season in which we prepare to celebrate Christmas. And there's no doubt about that. Um, as the weeks of Advent have, have rolled on, um, we've gotten a bit more Christmassy each week here in the sanctuary. Our homes and neighborhoods have probably been a bit more decked out with each passing week as well. In a few more weeks, we, we won't be packing the sanctuary as we usually do, but we will enjoy this holy experiment of sorts uh, where we'll do our best uh, to offer some virtual worship, including having a virtual choir um, and a virtual congregation singing some of our favorite songs and hymns. And within our homes, and we'll do our best to sing songs uh, like those favorites, uh, O Come All Ye Faithful, and Go tell it on the mountain. And we'll celebrate, uh, we'll celebrate Christmas. Advent is a season in which we prepare for that. We prepare ourselves again to celebrate how Jesus came into the world as a babe in a manger. But on the other hand, Advent is also the season in which we'll look ahead to the end of time. When this Jesus who first came to us as a babe in that manger will come to us again in all his glory to bring in his new eternal kingdom in which all of creation is restored to the beauty that God intends for it. No more death, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin. And Advent is also a season in which we look ahead to Jesus' second coming. And on this third Sunday in Advent, we really see that tension, right? We've got trees and wreaths and, and other signs of Christmas all around us, but at the same time, our gospel reading from, from John features John the Baptist, already born, already grown up, um, pointing to a Jesus, clearly already born, already grown up, starting his earthly ministry. That's not much of a Christmas story. It doesn't even prepare us for a Christmas story. We also get a reading from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. What most New Testament scholars agree is the oldest book in the New Testament. The earliest example of Christian writing from our Bibles. And Paul writes to these Christians, not about Christmas, but about Jesus' second coming, right? And so we've got this, this tension. We've got these themes of preparing for Christmas, preparing to celebrate the birth of Christ. We've got the themes of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we've got the theme of his second coming. It's a, it's a lot to juggle. And I've never been much of a juggler. So I'm going to let Christmas preparations sort of um, carry themselves today. We talked about last week um, being in the midst of those Christmas preparations, 
uh, savoring what you're able to do, grieving what you're not able to do, but being in the moment and, and rejoicing in this moment. Well, today I want to preach on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. I want to read those verses for you now. Paul writes, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. So Paul is writing to a budding Christian community about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And to really get inside this passage, you will have to put yourself in their position. They were a community of people centered on this hope that God had broken into human history, preached a message of the nearness of God's kingdom, died on the cross, rose three days later, appeared to his disciples for 40 days, and then ascended into heaven after promising to return soon, soon. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit blows among them and sends them out to be witnesses to all these things and to preach to the ends of the earth with great urgency so they would be ready for his imminent return. Paul came in the name of that Jesus to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey around the year 51 A.D. Again, that's about 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And Paul told these residents of Thessalonica about Jesus, about God's power breaking forth in Jesus. And Paul told them about Jesus' coming back soon, right? And on the basis of that preaching, these people became followers of Christ. It was, it was a conversion that no doubt created some tension in their relationship with their families and neighbors. But they were convinced that they were being faithful to God and so they had hope. But after a few years, they, they grew tired of waiting for Jesus to come back. They, they were like a bride waiting at the altar, all dressed in white, flowers in hand, minister ready, witnesses in place, organist poised, ready to play, but no groom. And after a while, the waiting starts to eat at you. We ought to know something about that. Certainly in one sense, we've been waiting for God to move our world past this global pandemic for nine months, right? But our waiting for Christ is way bigger than just the last nine months. We're talking a couple millennia, right? But our, it hasn't been a year or two of waiting for us. As Christians in 2020, we've been waiting for about 2,000 years for Christ to make good on his promise to return and restore all of creation. 2,000 years for the end of death and trouble and chaos and sin. And we can grow so weary of, of waiting that we get complacent or faithless or, or tired. We look at the world, we wonder, 
Why is God taking so long to come back, to send his son Jesus back and straighten this whole mess out? And so Paul writes to these weight-weary Christians in Thessalonica, and as he speaks to them, he's really speaking to us, too. So what does Paul say? Well, he writes to them about waiting, about keeping their eyes on the final days. In fact, the entire fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, the final chapter in that letter, is about this very thing. Paul reminds them that Jesus is coming back. But exactly when is impossible to say. And most importantly, he calls them to live in such a way that they would want to be found when Jesus returns. Right? An event that will surprise them much like a thief in the night. We've all been caught doing things we're not proud of. Right? Have you ever been caught doing something you are proud of? Right? That's how Paul calls us to live. As our reading begins today, Paul has some very specific behaviors he's promoting to be caught doing. He says to them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And at first that might seem a little unusual. On a list of things to be caught doing when Jesus returns, Paul talks first about prayer and thanksgiving. That seems odd to me, right? When Paul makes a list of what we ought to be caught doing when Christ returns, you'd think he would talk about what to avoid doing, avoiding immorality, avoiding lust and greed and stuff like that, right? And he does say avoid every kind of evil in this chapter, but it seems more like a throwaway line. The emphasis is on what we ought to be doing, and at the top of Paul's list is prayer and thanksgiving. Why? Well, maybe Paul is talking less about what we want to be caught doing and more about what we ought to be caught up in while we wait as people of faith. And so he calls us to prayer, right? Prayer of every kind, every shape, every form, and to do it in such a way that we get caught up in it, right? Well and good. Okay, pray without ceasing, but how do we do that? Well, our Lord has taught us a prayer we can use, the Lord's Prayer. And what a great discipline to pray that prayer throughout the day. Today is Youth Sunday, and I love sharing central truths about the Lord's Prayer with young people. And I also love talking about the Lord's Prayer with anyone who will listen as well. But when I teach the Lord's Prayer in Confirmation, I talk about how this prayer begins with confidence as we call God our Father. And from the very beginning, we make this claim that God loves us as a Father and is ready to listen to our needs at all times. And then we continue to pray, right? Asking God to guide us and, and, and to, to help us use his name appropriately, to use us in ushering in his kingdom, to feed us and forgive us and protect us, right? What an experience that would be to enter into that prayer throughout the day. To be caught up in this place where God is truly our Father, where we believe in the coming of his kingdom, where we trust that we can and will be forgiven and be forgiving 
and bring healing and strength where there is struggle, sickness, and weakness. It's a beautiful prayer. Maybe, maybe a discipline you could take up in the season of Advent is to pray the Lord's Prayer at least once a day. Now, we're not obliged to pray the Lord's Prayer. We can utter any prayer. And whatever our prayer, we can be assured that God promises to listen to the concerns of our hearts. No, no matter what we pray for or how we pray, prayer has this way of catching us in this place where we trust God completely, even if it's uh, just for that moment, where we rehearse how it will be when Jesus comes again. But of course, that's, that's just our individual prayer lives. And I, and I commend to you that you would have rich and robust individual prayer lives. But we can and also should get caught up in community prayers, too. Times when we as Christians gather together our hopes and our dreams for our world and for one another. To lift our prayers and have our prayers lift us. Now, I, I know we're not getting together physically in our sanctuary right now, but across the radio waves, across the internet, connected through YouTube and, and Facebook, through text messages, emails, phone calls, we continue to be God's church. And we join our prayers together time and time again. And we can also get, up in, get caught up in prayer in our homes, too. And, and to that end, let me, let me emphasize, once again, the, the house church and household church resources that we have available right now. Let me emphasize the Advent devotional materials that are available on our church website. Let me emphasize the, the Sunday Advent devotional videos that we release on Facebook every week. Let me emphasize a nightly practice in your homes of sharing highs and lows and for praying over those highs and lows. As 2020 comes down to its final weeks, thank God many of you are saying, and 2021 begins to dawn, perhaps now, right here, right now, in the midst of Advent, this is the time to begin something new. To take up a new spiritual practice in your homes of, of sharing and praying. Of being the church in your living room. Of sharing love and support in Jesus' name with the people we love. And if you live alone, maybe the practice is to find one other person to share that with in some other way, via phone or text or email, whatever. Or if you have been sharing a practice like that for some time, maybe now is a great time to celebrate the gift that that practice has been. Not a perfect practice, but a holy and rich practice. And commit now to doing that in the future as well, to continuing that practice for the sake of one another. All right, however you engage with this challenge, I'm calling us as God's people to the work of prayer. Personal prayer, communal prayer, household prayer. I know we're being called to be cautious with distance and gathering and keep doing that. But even as you practice physical distancing, find a way to double down on relationship and prayer. Because when we're drawn to prayer, we are drawn into God's promises. Drawn into this moment when we trust God and 
when we trust one another. When we believe together that God can work in us and through us to carry us through these challenging times. Friends, we we find ourselves in a season of waiting, of longing, of hurt and pain. We find ourselves struggling to keep our eyes focused on the coming of Christ, but we are called nonetheless to wait and to watch. We don't know how much longer it will be because we don't know the precise date when Jesus will come. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. And yet we do know that each day does bring us closer to the return of Christ. And so we are called to wait expectantly with our eyes on the horizon. And while we wait, the Apostle Paul also calls us to be people of prayer. Not just so we might be caught doing it when Christ returns, but that we might be caught up in the promises that prayer gives to us. Continued Advent blessings to you in the name of the coming Christ. Amen.